how do you live a thoughtful, clear, and meaningful, impactful, and yes, successful life? How, how do you build that? No, there's no easy formula, nothing like it. What is up, People First Leaders? My name is Chris Lynn, and I am your host for the Leading People First podcast, where we are set to transform the workplace. If you've ever wondered what it's like building and leading HR and people organizations, you are going to love this episode's guest. But before I get to our guest, I wanted to highlight this episode's People First Leader sent in by Jeannie Achille. She wanted to share about Lorna Borenstein, the CEO of Groker. Jeannie told me that Lorna is an amazing leader who inspires her team as well as her clients like Delta Airlines, CVS, SurveyMonkey, and eBay to name a few to make sure well-being programs are part of the employee experience. She is so passionate about its importance that she's written a book that publishes in the next few weeks titled It's Personal, The Business Case for Caring. Thank you, Jeannie, for sharing your praise about Lorna and how she leads people first. And for those of you listening, if you would like to tell the world about a people-first leader, head over to leadingpeoplefirst.com and send your praise on the podcast page. Now, let me tell you about this episode's guest. Yuri Kruman has led multiple organizations as an award-winning chief HR officer and chief people officer to create mission-driven organizations and help companies live and breathe their why. Yuri also has a new book coming out this next month called Be Your Own Commander-in-Chief. Be sure to grab a copy when it comes out in March 2021. So let's get ready to explore and dive on in. Hey, Yuri, thank you so much for coming on the Leading People First podcast. It's great to have you and Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Chris. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, you have a very diverse background, something that I really want to get into. Um, I want to learn a little bit more because you were born in Russia, born, you know, a very different place than what we're used to here in the U.S., obviously, came to the U.S. as an immigrant, had a lot of pressure from your mom, who was a scientist, a biologist, and then you shifted and went into law school. The, the thing I want to explore first is what made you shift from going from, you know, being a potentially being a scientist, going into law, and then going into your master the talk business? And how did that end up taking you to where you are today, where you are leading people first? Great question. I always give a disclaimer. Kids don't try this at home. <laughs> um, so I left, I left college with um, a bachelor's in neuroscience and anthropology. And, you know, getting a PhD in anthropology, yeah, it's not really the immigrant dream. Let's put it that way. It's kind of like, what, you're going to sit and twiddle your thumbs and we, we brought you to this great country for that? No way. <laughs> My mom is a neuroscientist. So the, the logical thing was, look, I've, I've done neuroscience research for what, six summers by that point. So it's like, all right, just, you know, slide into research full time and just be a grad student. And um, in that first year, I had four different rotations. Um, you know, I'm taking classes. You know, I, I love the subject. I love neuroscience, but my my approach to things, the way I learn, I, I don't want to say learning style because that's more or less been discredited, but just the way that I process information is in layers. It may take me a longer time to understand all the layers, the the human, the historical, the worldview, this and that. But I that's that's what I enjoy. And when you more or less put on blinders, because grad school is pretty narrow, um, you lose that 
taste. Like, yeah, like what, what am I doing here? I'm working on an yeah. extremely narrow question of how this protein binds to this membrane and uh, causes a release of neurotransmitters. Like, okay, I mean, it's interesting, but <laughs> I, you know, I, I like to say I have a finger in 10 soups. And when yeah. you're in grad school, you just, you just can't do that. It just yeah. doesn't work. So frankly, after a year, you know, one of the rotations I straight up never showed up in lab for three months, I, I mean, I wasn't diagnosed, but I, I'm pretty sure I was depressed. Like I was just, I was like, look, this is, this is not who I am. I'm not where I'm supposed to be. You know, pretty crappy point. But the funniest thing is I started a company while I was, you know, in that three months, I paid some guys in India to do a, um, a Jewish social network called juicyjews.com. Okay. And it, you know, it, it more or less failed miserably. I had a, I was, I guess technically I was the first Facebook global group before such things existed. I was under a profile called Judah the Maccabee. And like I found all these Jewish kids at 15,000, invited them on the network and spike in traffic and it died because it wasn't designed well. <laughs> anyway, so it gave me a taste for entrepreneurship. And I was like, hmm, this is, this is cool. I like this stuff, but okay. It didn't work out. I gotta, I gotta keep going with the immigrant thing. Like I gotta, I gotta make sure my mom is, my mom is happy with me. And, Good luck. Um, so I left grad school. She was already massively disappointed. I'm not going to be her colleague. Okay, I need grad school, right? So, oh, there's some guy, you know, some Russian guy who went to Columbia Law School and he does international affairs, blah, blah, blah. Okay, yeah, great way to choose what you're going to do with your life because some guy went to Columbia from your background. Yeah. Well, okay, that's, you know, that was my mindset. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, so from there... I worked for a year as a paralegal, you know, I did sales for three weeks, which was just utterly miserable. Um, but okay, you know, I started grad school, started law school, and I took on all this debt. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know, we're all going to make 160 when we graduate. We're all going to be top 10%. Moron. <laughs> like, what are you thinking? Um, and what, what am I doing well in law school? So this is leading up to the Great Recession, right? Which is, of course, when I graduated in 2009, everything was like, Bleh. So I'm, I'm working uh, one summer in a personal injury firm. I'm, I'm like the guy's associates. It's me. I was in a Russian commercial on prime time. It was too funny. Um, another guy uh, was working for an insurance defense litigation firm. I worked at a hedge fund. I worked at the New Yorker magazine for a week as a fact checker. Like I more or less got in some back way. Um, a lot of different things. But most importantly, I was writing my first novel <laughs> in law school. Imagine, like, what a, what a moron, right? Looking <laughs> backwards, what am I thinking? I'm taking out a, literally a quarter million dollars in debt to be in law school, to be a more or less crappy, you know, mediocre at best student, writing my novel, doing all this other stuff. Clueless, zero, like, yeah. So life skills took a while. Yeah. Um, I graduated into the recession. There are no jobs. I can't pass the bar four times, which is like supposed to be a smart guy. What the hell happened? You know? Um, so I'm like, I'm basically going, you know, through college, grad school. And it's just like this downward trajectory and like constant disappointment. Okay. So I graduate. Um, I, I go into finance more or less to pay the bills. It's not my passion, but okay. You know? So I do one project, I do another project. So there's this kind of like, you know, spike, there's revenue coming in and like a lot of it goes toward debt. Yeah. Meanwhile, you know, I get married. I met my wife uh, after graduation and we moved in together that got married. Um, so now it's, it's a family to support. Now I have this kind of like, you know, uh, a few months in between five to seven months. One kid is born. I'm not working. Terrible for, for marriage dynamic, needless to say. Um, and I'm like, I'm doing stuff that I hate, frankly, like I, I'm, I'm okay at it. I'm pretty decent at it, but 
it's not my thing. So I'm, I'm going through this. I'm just more or less reacting. I'm like grabbing, grasping at straws. You know, what's going to pay me that, you know, six figures and what, what's going to, uh, whatever. Like it, it's, it's completely backwards. Not mm. who am I, what matters to me, but how, how can I survive? Like I straight up need to grab something just, just to put underneath, you know, so it's stable. Yeah. And going, you know, one, one after another projects, then I get into healthcare more or less by accident. I started a company in it with a friend of mine who's a health tech investor. He's like, oh, I liked your ideas a few years ago. We want to build this company, health insurance for millennials. So we tried to build Oscar Health, but we didn't have a war chest. But okay, we failed, but I got into the field. A few months later, I'm at a consulting firm, big data healthcare. There for a month, going really well, just my speed. A guy calls me from the industry in health tech. Um, you know, we'd spoken a few months before. He's like, I really, I really like, you know, what you had to say. I need someone to come in and and be my finance and operations person. Like, kind of like wink, wink to replace the current one. Mm-hmm. Should have been a hint. Like you never, <laughs> yeah. you should never go, <laughs> go when someone tells you. So I'm like, well, that's not what I do. I'm not a finance and operations guy. Yeah, yeah, I know. But like, I really, I like you. I want to work with you. Like, yay, Kool-Aid. Yeah, let me drink that Kool-Aid. So yeah. the next day I was up in the offsite retreat for that company and I joined them the next Monday. Um, and it was this crazy roller coaster. I mean, the craziest learning curve I've ever been through in any company, in any industry. Insanity. I was managing financial models from the start. I'm doing investor relations documents. I'm doing partnership agreements. I'm doing some kind of like uh, sales uh sales uh, commission calculators. I'm like, where the hell did this come from? I have no experience. And I'm like uh, negotiating uh, rent for a new space. Like, how did I get into this stuff? Again, never learned so much, but I completely burned out. I had two micromanagers for bosses and it was hell. So I went to another one. I talked my way. You're going to see this theme throughout my story. I talked my way into things. (laughs) So I talked my way into a senior product manager role at a competitor another health tech company. And I was there for a few months and it was just blatantly clear. I don't have the, I don't have the chops to do this job. Yeah. We have like, you know, Harvard, Stanford MBAs with, <clears throat> excuse me, with multiple years of experience. And I'm like, you know, I'm from left field. So I left that. I went to work for another startup. Um, this is a guy I knew from college. Um, you know, the, the name is baby doctor. I'm like, wow. You know, I have a second kid on the way. And this just really spoke to me. So I, I even invested in the company. I got friends and family to invest. So I'm there for a few months. I'm director of special projects, I'm HR. And it's starting to become obvious the, the founders really don't see the eye, eye to eye with me. Again, I have a lot more startup experience or doing this for the first time. So things came to a head and eventually they're like, all right, sorry, we got to let you go. I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? I just invested in this. I got my you know whole network to do the same. And I stayed on as an advisor, but it was, it was a very painful kind of experience. So I said, you know mm-hmm. what? I've had enough. I've had enough of this Kool-Aid. I'm not going to go follow someone else's vision. I'm going to do my own thing. And around that time, two things happened, which really were a huge pivot point. So number one, um, I started my own business. So coaching was something I'd always done. Um, just like, hey, you know, can you help me negotiate a higher salary? Yeah, no problem. I sit with someone for, you know, half an hour and he goes and gets 10K more. Because uh, again, one thing I'd done in all these changes, you know, changes of industry, changes of position, I talked my way into things. So I, I figure out how the audience essentially views me and what I need to do. And I, I talk to that. 
I don't just give some kind of canned speech because it's useless. Yeah. So I started teaching that to people and I became master of the talk consulting. Very long story, relatively short. <laughs> <laughs> um, and at the same time, my daughter, um, who was two months at the time, was diagnosed with cancer, unfortunately. So, you know, that kind of moment forces you to get real clear on who you are and whom you're meant to serve and who belongs and who doesn't belong in your orbit. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, like I said, I, I just kind of left this company and they frankly didn't treat me very well at all. Um, you know, Cobra and all that stuff. Um, and here I am, I'm like, you know, I started my company and my daughter's sick and we're running to, you know, Sloan Kettering all the time. So it was, it was one of those moments where something just kicked into high gear. And I was like, crystal clear. I know what I'm doing. I know who I'm helping. I have to take care of my daughter. I have to make sure we're on good footing. And, and I haven't really looked back since that's, that's been my entrepreneurial journey. It's an amazing journey. The, the thing that I love is that, like you said, right, is you've been able to talk your way into things. And that's been by understanding the audience or the person that you're trying to address. And I think that that's a very strong uh, leadership skill to have. So can you tell me more about what it means to you then to actually lead people first, especially in your work as a CHRO? Yep. Um, so to be, to be clear, talking my way into things, that's, that's a blessing and it's a curse. Because it's a curse if you don't know what you're getting into or why, for what, how it, how it serves the people that you're meant to serve as a leader and also yourself. If it's something that's not aligned with who you are or your, your mission or your values, you really shouldn't be there. It's not going to help you and it's not going to help them. So one thing I learned in the process, you know, um, before going in as a leader, it's, it's, very, it's very easy comparatively to get into something, again, provided you kind of know the the sub the, the substance of what's going on there and you can mm-hmm. you can smooth things over. But the point is that once you're in a place, it's a totally different animal. And when you're not at the top, when you're not expected to speak up, it's actually very hard to do so. Because if you're you know in middle management, your incentives are, hey buddy, keep things stable. Don't rock the boat. Yeah. And if you're at the very bottom, like who the hell are you to even speak? Yeah. Right. So when you get into a leadership position, suddenly it something switches. Again, I was I was not very good at corporate bullshit, frankly. <laughs> um, so I would I would get myself into hot water sometimes, or I'm like I'm a little too direct. Um, once I got into that leadership role, and again, I'm coming in as a consultant, so that's a little different animal. People expect you, they want you to speak up, they want you to, and they need you to over communicate because yeah. that's the nature of your role. They're looking to you for that. Yeah. As opposed to when you're in house, you kind of have to toe the line, and you know everything is. You have to respect the the boundaries. So coming in as a leader again, there is a difference if you're full time or you're coming in as let's say an interim CHR, which is I've done both. In the last year, in fact, I've, I've exactly done both. Last January, um, I started at a home health company in New Jersey. I was commuting three hours every day, and in that situation, the company had already gone past fast growth, and they they had an inflection point. They were kind of in a turnaround situation. And in that context, I have to coach the leaders, meaning people that have never worked in another industry, they never worked in anything corporate. Um, and the entire set of directors, 13 of them, again, they never really worked in any other context. You know, they're not, let's say, 
they're not savvy in a corporate sense that this is the only place where they've ever worked. It's a totally mm-hmm. different animal from the usual situation of fortune 500 company. So I have to go in and, and open up their eyes. Hey, this is why you need to communicate. This is why you need to share information, why you need to do employee engagement surveys, why you need systems like an ATS and HRIS, why you need to redo your benefits and all that stuff. And it's, 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 it's kind of like getting rusty gears to, to unlock yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, you want to use the analogy of pulling teeth. You know, you you choose you choose your <laughs> choose your weapon. But um, the point is, it's it's when you're coming in as a leader and you're expected to speak up. Suddenly, you're like, I've been wanting to do this my whole life. Finally, yeah. I'm doing it not just because it's tolerated, because it's expected and it's helpful. And I think that goes much further than. Um, okay, like you know, how do you finesse, finesse, finesse everything? Which is what I was doing before. Yeah. So the thing that I want to ask you then around, you know, when, when we look about speaking up mm-hmm. is, you know, a lot of organizations and a lot of managers, they're like, Hey, bring up problems, bring these things up. We want you to speak up. We want you to bring solutions to the table, but then, mm-hmm. you know, they do the opposite when those things get brought up. So why, why is that? Like, why, why do they do that from your experience and how do we, help them overcome that urge to, you know, stamp, stamp out ideas. Yeah. I mean, the, the simplest way to look at it is ego. Uh, people are, I mean, it's pretty clear. People are generally averse to change. So first of all, if you bring something that's quote unquote beyond your pay grade, I'm actually, I'm coaching someone within a client company now who's exactly in this position. She's an account executive and, um, you know, she has a lot more to bring to the table, but she really feels like every time she brings something, it's more or less taken from her and given to someone else. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, let's try that again, but I'll be your conduit. I'll, I'll, I'll help you to pitch that in the right way so that your role changes. So the point is, you know, it's, it's very easy to bring ideas because you can just do some Google research, you know, bring in some new vendors. If you're really good, you'll make a good business case. Mm-hmm. But if your manager, let's say, is a middle manager and their incentives are to not rock the boat, then guess what? They're not going to rock the boat for you because yep. they're after their self-interest. Very yep. simple. Not because they're bad people. They got, they got families to feed, right? So the point is sometimes you, you have to know where – to go, who is the right person to go to with these ideas? And how do you also protect yourself? Meaning like it's not going to be taken from you completely and, and somebody runs with it because that's not okay either. So it's, it's a, you know, the best thing you can do is get a coach. I have coaches. That's the simplest and fastest way that I found to, to grow as a human and as a professional by working with people that have, you know, gone before me, they're at least a couple steps ahead. So, you know, there's no easy way to do it. You have to be around long enough to just understand the fabric of a corporation and, and sort of how a culture works and how people work. It's, it's yeah. not something that, you know, as much as I love what I've written and I've, I've certainly tried to break things down as much as I can and make them actionable, you know, not everyone is going to be magically, you know, open to absorb everything like that. Some people are more, you know, that's their skill set others are less good at it you have to just be around long enough and look for patterns and, and practice and iterate there's no magic yeah there there's a lot to be said about um you know employees needing that skill set to be able to bring up the right things 
uh, in the right times to the mm-hmm. right people again, but it, it's also incumbent on the organizations to allow for those things, allow for that opinion to come up. And I think that we saw a really good example of this happen. And this is, you know, news literally that just came out yesterday was that Google's mm-hmm. Google employees are forming a union. Yep. So can you share your thoughts on the, you know, Google employees and contractors unionizing and why this is a signal to employers to really be on alert about employee values, ethics, and work conditions? Great question. Um, I think that one, one thing to keep in mind in the last year, let's just say it um, in the last year, because of remote work, because of much lower connectivity, um, a lot of Again, I'm, I'm speaking from experience here. A lot of um, employers, founders, CEOs, et cetera, they really feel like, what the hell are people doing? Like, what are you, what are you guys actually doing? You have no visibility into your workday. Are you, are you out walking your dog? Or are you spending half the day in Whole Foods? <laughs> what the hell are you doing there? All right, so there's this, this kind of distrust that comes from the, the top. If you don't have things like Slack, if you don't have a project management software that more or less drips that information to you all the time onto some dashboard. So part of what I do is I I create that dashboard. I connect the pipes and I say, hey, you know, we all need to use this so that your bosses don't think that you're just screwing around all day. Mm -hmm. Clearly, the company continues running, right? And it keeps growing. So um, I think I think it's incumbent on the company to have the right mindset to understand that hey you know we we hired the best people we have to empower them to do their best work we can't just micromanage them we can't distrust them all the time there will always be free riders but you have to create systems to flush them out and if there's excess capacity then you assign the right projects again but you have to connect that to the person's mission and values right you have to make sure that the person knows their career pathway they have a performance review. Somebody asked their freaking opinion about the paint on the wall, something, yeah. right? So you you have to engage in, in a non, uh, I would say, what's the term? Um, don't be a patriarch. You know, treat people like adults. If you treat people like adults, they're going to tell you what's on their mind. They're going to bring you their best ideas and they're not going to feel like, Oh, I'm just doing, I'm wasting my time by bringing ideas because it's going to get shut down. So you have to have a way, you have to have a forum and, and a way of communicating that embraces that. Okay. Thank you for your ideas. Maybe we have an internal competition mm-hmm. for which, which are the best ideas, or, you know, maybe we have a more uh, kind of a greater openness to let's say you bringing this to the head of a different department or what have you, we share more information about all of our different verticals and what each of our departments is doing. So the simplest way to look at it is every company's duty is to maximize the amount, the frequency and the quality of information that travels within the company. That alone solves probably 80% of all the problems, if not a full 90. Yeah. That that's something that's you know very frustrating is allowing for that trust and communication to happen because again going back to what you said earlier around ego and you know the the patriarchy it's this idea of control right that we uh-huh. this old idea of control like I have to control everything uh-huh. we really need to start letting go and just allowing things to happen because again if our teams know what's going on those ideas will kind of generate and we're in a time in human history right now specifically in the u.s um 
where truth, facts, evidence huh? are somehow <laughs> are somehow wildly disputed, right? I mean, when you take yes. that into in, in a company, and I know you've talked about this before, about truth and transparency needing to be readily available going off of what you just said. Mm-hmm. I mean, what does that look like? What, what happens when you have that? And what happens when leaders and business units are actually truthful about the work that they do and the issues that they have? So one way to visualize this is, is kind of a symbol. Imagine that at the top of a company, you have a little bit of distance between word and deed. Okay, If you have that little bit of distance, it doesn't have to be a lot. You know, We're, we're, we're mostly good about sharing our you know, quarterly results and um, our you know, KPIs and all that stuff. Oh, okay, check, check, check. Go down to middle management, and again, that that gap grows because okay, well, you know, I have to, I have to, you know, if I'm the middle manager, I have to kind of think about the people writing on top and the people under me. So I have to kind of filter the message, and the, the distance grows, and the distance grows, and then by the time you get all the way to the bottom, you know, the analyst level, for example, I mean. It's like it's it's a free range survival there. <laughs> it's like you know who's gonna who's gonna get ahead of uh, this other one for promotion. So the the gap is massive at the bottom, right? So the issue is again, wh- what are your filters? What are your filters like? Number one, so from the top down and from the top um, from the bottom up, right? So you have to have channels for people at any level to speak up openly, anonymously, maybe on Slack, maybe by email, maybe office hours. You have to open the floodgates because information is the single most important thing. If you don't have information, how can you make good decisions? Again, whether you're at the top or the bottom. And, and number two is you you have to, you have to, there's a saying, I forget, I think it's from one of the Stoics. Um, essentially, we, we don't default to our aspirations, we default to our training, mm-hmm. right? So when you have certain systems and, and ways of communicating that are incentivized or disincentivized, right? People respond to those incentives or disincentives and they either are transparent or they hoard information. They feel like, oh, my, it's my fiefdom and I have to protect it, right? So you wanna, you wanna discourage the fiefdoms. You wanna discourage the silos. You wanna open things up as much as possible. And there's a way to do that by saying, you know what? When we do this, we grow the pie. When we grow the pie, everyone has a path forward, okay? And it's not just going to be some kind of mysterious, you know, you fit with our culture or you don't fit with our culture. Mm -hmm. It's going to be crystal clear what we value and what we don't. And once you're here, you're in the company, we onboard you really, really well. We make sure that you you have as much information as as you need to understand how we do things, what are our values, not because it says so above the door, because we practice that stuff. Right? We only hire people with a certain level of you know, communication ability, certain productivity, certain savviness about systems, et cetera. And yeah, we have some mindfulness that we may not know everything as the founders or you know, people from our background, right? Let's hire people right. that think differently, look differently. Maybe they, they have neurodiversity or mm-hmm. you know, how they look. Let's, let's do that because it benefits all of us. We see more facets you know, a diamond has 51 facets and there's no way you can see all of them just by looking at one, one side. Right. So you have to think in those terms and you have to not just think, but put in systems. You have to bring in consultants. You have to hire people that are specialists in the verticals and the horizontals, right? You have, you have your specialists and you have your business analysts that look across the organization. So there's a way to structure things. There is a rhyme and reason to how you build a company in order to, 
do it the right way so that people behave in the way that you want to keep growing the pie and, and, and develop themselves in the process. These things are not in any way mutually exclusive. When we look at building these processes and systems, especially when it comes to a flow of information, there's a, a, a lot that can go wrong and a lot to be mindful of when building those systems and processes. And you, of course, have a lot of experience doing this in, in your work, mm-hmm. uh, either in the organizations or consulting with the organizations. And when we look at building those processes, right, a lot of people in those organizations and typically managers, as you said, middle managers, when they are trying not to rock the boat, those are the ones that tend to dive headfirst into solving those problems rather than engaging and empowering those below them. And I would say a lot of those decisions tend to be the wrong ones. And Mm -hmm. especially when we look at things like change management, that's when we see quarters of change fail. Mm -hmm. Can you tell a, a, a story or something that's happened that you've seen where it's completely gone up in flames and the, the lessons that you learned from it? I'll give you a very recent example. So um, a client of mine um, in, in healthcare, I come in gung-ho, let's increase uh, communication, let's plug in all the pipes. So, you know, we, we kind of like have one uh, set of threads that the CEO slash uh, president can look at and understand all the flows of information and who's working on what. Mm-hmm. And okay, we have right now, we have email, we have uh, like a secure messaging platform. Um, you know, we have a couple other channels uh, through which people send information. It's all disjointed. You can't see it. You can't, you can't connect it. So I'm like, Slack. <laughs> and some people, okay, they've had Slack in previous jobs. <laughs> like, yeah, Slack. And um, I keep pushing it. Come on, guys, let's do Slack. Let's do Slack. Well, maybe we need the HIPAA compliant version. It's like 65,000. Okay, maybe not. Yeah. Uh, well, let, let's do the non-HIPAA compliant one just for office uh, conversations, uh, radio silence. And then one, one day um, I ask again, hey, guys, come on. Can we, can we like do this thing? It's, it's free up front. You don't have to pay much. And I get this backlash. The, the, the CEO slash president, he reaches out to me. He's like, we were just in a meeting with marketers and intake people. And they they got so pissed. We have so many platforms. We have Salesforce and TigerText and email and Kinzer and da, 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 da. We don't want another freaking platform. Like, okay, <laughs> let's shelve that plan. <laughs> and why? Why did why did that happen? Um, very simple, right? Because a lot of a lot of not just marketers, but really the clinical people, they're older, they're less savvy, they're out in the field, they, they don't have the savviness to, to download all the apps on their phone and understand how things work, because they're, they're rushing, 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 right? So they use a platform, the secure messaging platform called Tiger Text, and they've been using it for years, and a lot of people are part-timers, so they switch between agencies in that platform. And because of that, you can communicate and over-communicate, and you can say, oh, this is going to help your career, it'll help your visibility, and da 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 they don't want to do it. They don't give a damn because it makes their life harder, not easier. So a lot of the time, again, it's kind of like I come in with, you know, I'm, I'm a tech guy, you know, and connect the pipes and make things work <laughs> and flow and yeah, change. And some people are like, yo, dude, step back. <laughs> no, you don't know our business. You don't know how we do things. <laughs> so chill out. 
So sometimes, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a learning experience. It's, it can be a bit humbling. Yeah. But mostly, you know, you communicate, number one, and over-communicate. Why is, this, why is this good for the company? Okay, yawn. Why is this good for you? Oh, why is this good for me? Okay, well, this will help you get promoted, you know, because you have better visibility. Your project management's better. Oh, hmm, interesting. So, again, connect that to performance management. Suddenly, people pay attention. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, Slack. So, it's those are the two pieces. Communication is great, but if it doesn't connect up to some higher goal that is personal for each employee, out of luck. Yeah, that personalization of goals is very important. And that's how you can really make big strides in, in any change that you're looking to make. So communication, connecting to individual um, goals, or again, personalization, finding that individual reason why it's important. And if you can connect it to, you know, even further their purpose or the values, it, it makes a big difference. And that's something you've been able to do over your entire career. And your entire career is now culminating into this new book that's about to come out, Commander in Chief, where we really look at four areas, or I, I'm sorry, where you look at four areas, right? Body, mind, conversations with others, and speaking with God in the universe. So why are those four areas important for companies to focus on and for leaders to be aware of? And why do those leaders need to focus on it even more for their teams when it comes to the employee experience? Great question. Um, just to clarify, the book is called Be Your Own Commander-in-Chief. Oh, yes. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, no problem. Um, so two things. Number one is the book is written for two sides of the table. One is just direct to consumer. Let's say you're young or young at heart, you're ambitious, but you don't have the, you know, the background of coming from a family of lawyers or psychiatrists, or I don't know, financiers or whatever have you. So you may not be savvy. You may have all the uh, resources, the coaching, all of that stuff. And, but you know, you're, you're motivated. So what is the map of what you need to focus on in what order map and roadmap? Okay, that's what the book is. Now, why does that matter to organizations? Not as intuitive, right? As head of HR, I come in and my, my first priority is I want to make sure to develop people. You know, they, they come in how they come in. Hopefully, they have a decent onboarding. Hopefully, they like their job. But I have to take the baton of this person is in some role. They're probably not as well aligned as they were in the beginning. Um, they want to grow towards something else. How do I channel that? I have to be the conduit for how that works. So, you know, instead of saying, Hey, you know, read these 10 books, let's do a book club. Kumbaya. Right. People don't really, Oh, I'm busy. Okay. okay I'm busy, busy, busy. Yeah. Okay. How, how do we address that? Um, kind of people not speaking up, people not knowing where to go. They don't, you know, the usual state of HR is just keep the trains running, do legal compliance, and you're good. Okay. Just don't rock the boat. <laughs> HR is the most kind of like middle, middle management of middle management. <laughs> so as, as HR, I, I, I'm not an HR person originally. And in fact, I thought HR was a four letter word before I went into HR to fix it. I had some very bad experiences with HR. It was just atrocious. It's like no one, no one gives a damn who I am. Why am I here? What do I need to grow? And then like, yeah, I'll give my best, but if I have that connection. So the book lays out, you know, if you look at self-help, 
usually the books that you see out in the market focus on one, oh, health, fitness, diet, rah, rah, rah. Okay, or uh, mental models. Okay, you know, how do you optimize your career? And again, if I've done the coaching, I've done all that stuff, yawn, right? There's a thousand books on that. Or, you know, how do you start up your business? Another million on that. Or how do you manage your finances? Like, okay, I can find that. But I've never found anything that connects these four different pieces, not, not just like lays them out, but actually connects them and says, here's how you do this if you want to do this at a high level. And no, you don't have to be a billionaire or an endurance athlete. You don't have to be LeBron James spending a million dollars a year on his body. I mean, God bless. I mean, we have a lot to learn from LeBron, right? Mm-hmm. But clearly there's a massive middle between, hey, I'm writing for, you know, distilling uh, the, the practices of billionaires and endurance athletes and, you know, rah, 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 totally, total nonsense that, that's not joined to facts or, or science or science, which is very dense and people don't want to talk about it, right? So basically the four pieces have to come together for that vast middle ground where most people find themselves like, okay, you know, I have reasonable intelligence. I, you know, probably went to a good school, but I don't have life skills. I never learned this stuff. So I have to, yeah, I have to think in an 80, 20 manner about my health, fitness, diet. I need to think in an 80, 20 manner about how do I manage expectations, manage my stress, process information, make decisions. Yeah. Manage my finances, business, and career because those things are really bloody important. And then how do I deal with other people? That's kind of like, you know, teach me the sexy coaching stuff. Yeah. How do you negotiate? How do you ace the interview? You know, all that stuff. But also how do you relate to your wife and kids or your vendors or, you know, your employees, investors, advisors, right? How do you come to a place where you start a relationship and you manage it according to a certain set of core values? You drive the agenda, not like I'm a dictator, but like, you know, this is what matters to me. Mm-hmm. And I want to make sure I'm in the right conversation with the right person. And then once I'm in there, I'm fully in it. I want to add value to them and I want to derive value for myself. Okay. And then the last piece, you know, it's, it's, it's not going to make me the most popular kid on the playground. Like, oh, God, universe, <laughs> that's not for me. <laughs> the truth is, look at the last year. What happened in 2020, right? Suddenly there's chaos. There's absolute unbridled chaos in politics, in our social fabric, in, you know, health, mental health, everything just, in that situation, suddenly all the empirical observations from science and all of that, they're important, of course, but they're not enough, right? Or starting to think about the world. Oh, we've been on a trajectory, you know, Steven Pinker. Yeah, it's the, it was the best of times. Yeah, and we're living in the best of times. No, 2020 put an end to that, <laughs> right? We have something like 150 million people falling back into poverty. It's right. horrible. So suddenly all the, all the kind of elements of truth that we're used to in our, you know, liberal small L globalist world order, suddenly things really don't seem as they were advertised to us going up through school. So in that situation, where do you turn? You turn to more ancient wisdom, more ancient traditions. And you more or less, you look back and like, okay, where did I come from? Do I actually know the tradition? Do I understand the rituals? Like I, I, I need that. I need community. I'm sitting alone in my lockdown apartment for, you know, four months at a time. It's bloody lonely. It's horrible. Like I, I need something to connect to. Suddenly that question of, you know, where do I fit in the universe and how do I connect to God? It's not a trivial one. It's not, yeah. it's not just a nice to have. It's, it's the capstone for all the others. So 
putting all the four together, again, map plus roadmap plus clear action plan, that's something akin to a philosophy. In fact, that's why I wrote the book, because I got sick of seeing these things floating up in the air. Like, how does that connect to my life? Like, I'm, I'm not going to change everything just through time management. Yeah, it's bloody important. Don't get me wrong. Very important. Changed my life. But by itself, it's not enough if I don't have a connection to God or if I can't deal with people well. <laughs> well, my time management skills ain't going to do a damn, right? Yeah. So that's, that's what the book is about. It's me saying I'm fed up with self-help and how things are positioned. I'm going to go in as the head of HR to a company. I'll provide this as a platform. We'll start a conversation along all these different pieces. And you can plug in different benefits and perks and lectures and trainings and speaking and whatever you want, right? You want, you want better software for productivity? Great. We know where that fits, how that helps you in your career, right? But you yeah. see it right in front of you. And that's, that's what I haven't seen in the market. So that's why, that's why I wrote the book. Fantastic. Well, what is your, I know you have a very specific vision for the book. So can you share more about the vision? And ultimately, you know, the last question I like to ask is what is the impact that you're looking to leave on people when, when you interact with them? Sure. Thank you for asking. You know, maybe this is a, a strange image, but I always, you know, I was talking to my editor um, last week and we always bounce around ideas. What do we keep? What do we not? The editor always wants to cut, cut, cut. And I'm like, no, let's keep, but shorten, keep, but shorten. And I, I had this image pop into my head. You know, I was a kid in the Soviet Union where we were literally behind the wall from the world. We didn't know how things really work out there. And we're just like, well, okay, you know, I'm a good, I'm a good pioneer. I wear the star on my uniform. Um, and then I came to the States and it's like, whoa, this whole, whole world opens up. So I had to adjust and adjust and adjust. So I'm, I'm that little boy. No matter what I do, I'm, I'm always going to be that little boy who's kind of like, wow, that's so cool. That, that's who I am, you know, and, and, and I've been punished for it. God knows. Punished for it by choosing the wrong career and, and talking my way into things I had no business uh, doing uh, with people I had no business being with. So I've, I've been very uh, unfortunate on the surface in the sense that I got into things that I probably should not have been doing. I wouldn't have been hurt. But I've also been fortunate in the sense that that's what's taught me how to be who I am because eventually, you know, you, you have to have your own set of values, set of vision, you know, uh, and, and some thoughtfulness, your philosophy, what's your philosophy on how you live. So that's, that's sort of the, the point of, of, of this project. I want to, I want to think about that little kid somewhere in the developing world or, or even developed world, right. In the backyard, a kid that I might meet on the street here in Brooklyn that doesn't have, the same kind of access that my kids might have because they grew up in a certain family with a certain set of parents and certain professions, right? I want to make sure that any kid like that can pick up a book and at least visualize not just, you know, success, rah, 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 you know, I, I make a lot of money. No. How do you live a thoughtful, clear, and meaningful, impactful, and yes, successful life? How, how do you build that. No, there's no easy formula, nothing like it. But at least if you have a map of what belongs, what, what do you focus on, and in which order a roadmap, and then some kind of organizing principles, then, you know, with some kind of have decent intelligence, you should be able to at least work on that. Even if you work on a few areas, you're still going to be much further than most of your neighbors who are just screwing around smoking pot on the stoop. Yeah. You know, so that's, that's the goal. I want, I want this book to go in that 
kids' hand, hopefully all the kids, even the ones smoking pot and doing nothing, read the book. They discover that there's this whole world out there, that there's a way to do this in a concerted, thoughtful manner that can, yeah, get them out of, out of the ghetto or out of the you know, slum or wherever the hell they are. That's the goal. That's my vision for the book. That's fantastic. Well, uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the book. Uh, it's coming out. Ebook comes out this month, January. Um, by the time you hear this, it should be out. And then the print copy should be coming out in March, I believe. So yep. um, I'm really looking forward to it. Where can people get the book and where can they connect with you? The simplest way, um, if you want to pre-order the book or order the book by the time this is released, um, it's B-Y-O-C-I-C. That's BeYourOwnCommanderInChief.com, B-Y-O-C-I-C. And if you want to look up my work, whether that's around coaching or HR consulting or anything else that I've done, um, speaking workshops and so on, YuriKruman.com, Y-U-R-I-K-R-U-M-A-N.com. Well, thank you again, Yuri. Uh, I'm re- Again, I'm looking for forward to the book. I absolutely have loved your work. I've loved talking with you. Thank you again so much. Thank you very much. It's a great pleasure. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Leading People First podcast. I hope you enjoyed Yuri's stories and how he leads people first by building up others and just by jumping in, even when you aren't so sure about yourself. If you liked this episode, make sure you share it with someone who needs to hear Yuri's story. Don't forget to hit subscribe to get future episodes automatically downloaded to your device. Thank you so much for listening, and let's keep this conversation going by telling me what you learned or loved from this episode on LinkedIn or Instagram. Again, thanks. Keep leading people first and stay awesome.